The great resignation has been weighing heavily on many HR minds these past few months. But of course, one employer's retention tension can be another's hiring surge. In fact, LinkedIn, The Atlantic, and Forbes have even referred to this labor trend as the great reshuffle on occasion. So how can recruiters sift through these applicants? In 2000, Jeff Bezos famously shared Amazon's approach to executive recruiting, which included SAT scores and obscure serratic style questions like, how many gas stations are there in the United States? It's unclear how this was adapted for other roles or whether it's even current practice, but it's hard to imagine this unusual approach would be useful for warehouse hiring in 2022. In recruiting, the process should always fit the position. So, in today's episode of HR Party of One, I'm going to cover recruiting assessments, including how they differ from screening and what to consider when choosing which assessments to use. By the end, you'll have a better understanding of how to use assessments to improve your hiring process. Today we'll discuss the difference between screenings and assessments, the role of assessments in interviewing, what to know about personality assessments, what to know about skills assessments, and recruiting assessments, compliance issues. Let's dig into it. The difference between screenings and assessments. Many people use the terms screening and assessment interchangeably, but I would argue they are different and dependent means to meet the same end, hiring the best candidate for the position. Screening should be efficient. How can I manage the quantity of applicants? Whereas assessment should be effective. How can I evaluate the quality of candidates? Screening is about not wasting your time on unqualified applicants, while assessment is about investing your time in finding the most qualified candidate. Regardless of whether something is considered screening or assessing, one question should guide your compliance for both. Can I demonstrate a job-related necessity for asking this question, using this tool, or giving this test? I'll come back to this later in the episode. Common screening tools include clear, specific, and realistic job descriptions so job seekers can self-select, basic screening questions on applications, resumes, cover letters, phone interviews, Google and social media searches, background checks, and employment verifications. Some of these tools may occasionally blur the line depending on how much time a recruiter spends on them, but an applicant tracking system like Bernie Portal can help streamline the process. Bernie Portal also boasts an integration with Indeed, which can increase your initial applicant pool. After all, screening efficiency isn't very helpful if it's not also effective in helping you find the best possible candidate. And that's where assessments come in. The role of assessments in interviewing. Interviewing itself is an assessment, of course. However, since I've already covered interviewing in depth in previous episodes, I wanna spend our time today discussing how other types of assessments can be used to improve the interview process. First, it's good practice to conduct a phone interview as a screener before proceeding with an in-person or video interview. They're inexpensive, take little time out of your day, and give you and the candidate an opportunity to learn more about each other with relatively low stakes. 
More importantly, they're fair since the recruiter can't base a snap judgment on the candidate's appearance over the phone. If you're interested in learning more, check out an earlier episode of HR Party of One that's devoted entirely to phone interview best practices. I'll link to it in the description. Once you've decided to proceed with a candidate based on a phone interview, schedule an in-person or video interview, and assign them a personality assessment and skill test, which we'll cover in a moment, to complete before the next meeting. These completed assessments serve two purposes in the interview. Number one, they give the hiring manager a better sense of the candidate's qualifications, including how they would fit into the role on the team and the position within the company. Context is key here, rather than letting the assessment speak for itself. And number two, they keep the interview grounded and relevant to the candidate's qualifications. To be clear, I believe small talk is an important element of the interview, but if the conversation gets too off track, both parties may feel they've wasted their time. Again, if you're interested in learning more, check out an earlier episode where I covered in-person interviews in depth. I'll link to it in the description. Assessments can be insightful on their own, but using them as part of the interview process can help hiring managers make difficult decisions with the best information available. It also helps to standardize the hiring process as much as possible within your organization. To that end, I've dedicated previous episodes to how to make a manager manual for your organization and how to conduct the recruitment process in seven stages. I'll link to those in the description. With that in mind, let's talk about personality assessments next. What to know about personality assessments? Personality assessments have received a lot of scrutiny in recent years, and they should have. Any testing used by recruiters to make such important decisions should be both reliable and valid. In other words, personality tests should yield consistent and accurate results in order for recruiters to administer and interpret them in a way that is both effective, part of a holistic process, and non-discriminatory. Keep this in mind while I cover a few of the most common personality assessments used in recruitment. These include the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. This tool is one of the most popular and recognizable personality assessments in the world. The test identifies 16 distinct personality types based on four dichotomies, extroversion, introversion, sensing intuition, thinking, feeling, and judging, perceiving. It's important to note, however, that the Myers and Briggs Foundation claims, while the assessments may help people understand themselves and how they interact with others, it is not ethical to use the MBTI instrument for hiring or for deciding job assignments. Culture Index This behavioral profiling assessment actually begins with the team you're hiring for. By testing the team first, Culture Index then helps you determine what's needed for the position and how well the candidate fits in the role and within the team. This tool is best for more established organizations with a clearer sense of their own culture and identity. The Hogan Personality Inventory Assessment With a reputation for reliability, this test is designed to measure reputation, not identity. In other words, it's based on the idea that our perception of ourselves, identity, can be flawed, but how others perceive us based on our observable behaviors, reputation, is a better indicator of how we'll work in a given role or environment. The assessment breaks down a person's bright side, dark side, inside, and cognitive. For recruiters, the major appeal of these results is that they help predict future performance. The DISC assessment. 
DISC stands for the four main personality types measured by the assessment. Dominance, influence, steadiness, and consciousness. This test is popular because it's easy to use and its results are easy to apply. Keep in mind, however, that the DISC does not claim to be a predictive tool. It should be used as part of a holistic hiring process and not as a screening tool, according to the DISC website. Still, the assessment can help hiring managers understand how a candidate might fit into a team's dynamic or a company's culture. Here's an example. Bernie Portal uses the DISC assessment as part of our hiring process. We assign the test to candidates beforehand, and we discuss their results in the in-person interview. In fact, Bernie Portal hiring managers also bring their own results to the interview to discuss how they might work together, and to keep conformity bias at a bay by being aware of its influence. We also give the candidate the opportunity to explain why they agree or disagree with their results profile. Objective Manimage Group Sales Assessment. At Bernie Portal, we use the OMG Sales Assessment for sales positions in addition to the DISC. The assessment results recommend a hire or not, and OMG boasts 96% accuracy in predicting sales success. Whatever personality assessment you choose to use, be sure to coach hiring managers on how to use it correctly, collaborate with hiring managers on a regular basis to ensure it's being used correctly, consider highest performers results as a benchmark, use the results in the in-person interview, giving the candidate the opportunity to agree or disagree with the report. And if the assessment tool does not provide a results report, I would not recommend using that test. Now, on to skills assessments. What to know about skills assessments? Skills tests vary as much as the position they're used to hire for. In fact, skills assessments must be specific to the role in order to be compliant with equal employment opportunity regulations. For example, a writing test for marketers, a coding exam for programs, or role-playing calls for a salesperson. So, since we can't begin to cover all the possible skill tests in the time we have, I want to focus on a few of the most common. Take IQ tests, for example. Many employers like the idea of using Intelligent Quotient, or IQ, tests for the same reason Bezos like using SAT scores. It appears to be an objective measure of cognitive ability and learning potential that promises a numbered score for easy comparisons. There are over 200 IQ tests available with varying degrees of reliability and validity, and it's the employer's responsibility to choose a test that meets high standards. Often, the compliance issues are not that the IQ test itself, but in how hiring managers misuse or misinterpret the test results. That's another reason manager training is so important to the hiring process. Similarly, many employers like the idea of using knowledge tests, but I would argue that many employer-administered knowledge tests are likely unnecessary. Instead, standardized licensing examinations usually accomplish the same goal without subjecting the employer to discrimination allegations. Employers should also be careful with physical and medical examinations used in hiring. Always be sure that they are specific and necessary to the position. SHRM provides more specific and comprehensive guidance on how to approach such tests to avoid lawsuits. I'll link to their resources in the description. Recruiting assessments compliance issues. I've touched on compliance issues a lot already in this episode, but I want to end by emphasizing a few of them. 
As I mentioned at the beginning, your guiding question should be, can I demonstrate a job-related necessity for asking this question, using this tool, or giving this test? The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, clarifies the issues this way. The use of tests and other selection procedures can be a very effective means of determining which applicants or employees are most qualified for a particular job. However, use of these tools can violate the federal anti-discrimination laws if an employer intentionally uses them to discriminate based on race, color, sex, national origin, religion, disability, or age, 40 or older. Use of tests and other selection procedures can also violate the federal anti-discrimination laws if they disproportionately exclude people in a particular group by race, sex, or any other covered basis, unless the employer can justify the test or procedure under the law. In other words, a recruiting assessment cannot be discriminatory based on intent, disparate treatment, or an effect, disparate impact. The EEOC offers the following guidance to avoid discrimination. Employers should administer tests and other selection procedures without regard to race, color, national origin, sex, religion, age, 40 or older, or disability. Employers should ensure that employment tests and other selection procedures are properly validated for the position and purposes for which they are used. If a selection procedure screens out a protected group, the employer should determine whether there is an equally effective alternative selection procedure that has less adverse impact, and if so, adopt the alternative procedure. To ensure that a test or selection procedure remains predictive of success in a job, employers should keep abreast of changes in job requirements and should update the test specifications or selection procedure accordingly. And finally, employers should ensure that tests and selection procedures are not adopted casually by managers who know little about these processes. I'll link to the EEOC's full guidance in the description. While you may not be hiring Amazon executives, the recruiting assessments you choose to use should still be unique to the role within your organization. After all, it doesn't really matter how many gas stations there are in the United States, as long as you're filling positions efficiently, effectively, and fairly. As always, remember, your role is as strategic as you make it. That's all the time we have for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join our HR Party of One group on LinkedIn. This is Sarah, signing off. Bye.